This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host, and you are listening to our Parent Footprint Podcast, where our mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe at Parent Footprint, the key to raising happy healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same happiness, health, and engagement in our own lives. We believe that awareness is so key to the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for our children. Today's show, we are talking about simple acts of giving back with Natalie Silverstein. And let me tell you about Natalie, who is the author of the new book, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. Natalie is the volunteer coordinator of Doing Good Together in New York City. She's a frequent consultant and presenter to parents, faculty, students, and community groups on the topic of family service and is a contributor to parenting blogs, Grown and Flown, and Mommy Poppins, two awesome blogs. She she holds a master's degree in public health from Yale University, and she and her family regularly make time to volunteer in their community, and we're going to be hearing about this stuff today. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Dan. I really appreciate you having me on. So how did service become such an important part of your life and your work? Well, um, my oldest child is 18, and uh, my my second child is 16. So I had these two young kids at home, and we live in New York City, which is a community of... Um, you know, tremendous wealth and also tremendous need. Uh, there are so many organizations here that give back and um, help others both locally and, and across the country. And I was just shocked and sort of amazed when I was, as they were growing up and I was uh, looking for ways to give back with my children in the community, ways to take my kids out and volunteer. I couldn't really find very many organizations, nonprofits that would accept us as volunteers with young children. And I was really kind of shocked by that. And I thought, you know, if, if we can't find that in New York City, you know, you can get Chinese food at four in the morning delivered to your front door. Um, but I couldn't find a place to volunteer with my kids. And I thought, well, there's got to be a resource, an online uh, website or a place where I can, you know, just put my zip code in or my neighborhood and it'll pop up with all these great opportunities. And, and it just 
just didn't exist. So um, my kids were getting a little bit older, but then I had a third child. So I was still really um, interested in getting involved in service with them. They were attending a school, um, happens to be a Jewish day school, that has a very strong mission in service learning. They were doing a lot of learning about um, repairing the world and giving back um, at school. And I just felt this need to find those opportunities for our family on the weekends and on our own personal family time. So I was thinking I would start my own website or a listing. And uh, I'm not a particularly tech-savvy person, as we discussed earlier. And so I was looking around the web at different models, and I discovered something called Doing Good Together. Uh, It's a national nonprofit. It's based in Minneapolis. Uh, It was founded by a woman named Jenny Friedman. And I reached out to her, and I said, I just love what you're doing in Minneapolis. They had a listing that went out to a group of subscribers um, that had specific family-friendly volunteers opportunities for every single month. And people got this in their inbox. And I thought it was fantastic. And so I reached out to Jenny and I said, you know, I'd love to sort of franchise your idea in New York City and do this for you here and curate this listing. And she wrote back immediately. It was one of those moments like I came up with this and I, I reached out to her and she was literally just dying to do this somewhere in the country. And it just, we came together at exactly the right moment. So uh, she wrote back immediately and we started this relationship. I've been doing it now for six years. So I do, I go out, I I meet with um, organizations, people that I'm aware of, things that I hear about, posters that I see in doctor's offices and in coffee shops and things. And I curate a listing of family-friendly volunteer opportunities that's then pushed out to subscribers here every month. Um, It's free. It comes to your inbox. There's no advertisements. It's really amazing. And since I started in New York City, it's been launched in a number of other cities as well. So Doing Good Together is just this fantastic resource. Through that work, of course, because this is how life is, when you um, put yourself out there with something really good like this, different speaking engagements started to come to me. And people would email me and say, gee, you know, my kid's bar mitzvah is coming up. Do you have any ideas of where he might be able to volunteer? Or gee, you know, my family is looking for something to do on on uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Is there a place that we can volunteer? So I de facto became the you know, volunteer lady in my community um, and in New York City. So I started speaking to student groups and to schools, to parent associations, to Girl Scout troops. Um, it just became this this passion that turned into a vocation. And um, it just started to percolate this idea as I started speaking to parents that they just, they wanted to do it. This It was so obvious to them that this was important in raising compassionate and empathetic kids. And that service is such an easy way to teach kids about gratitude and, and all of these important values, but they didn't know where to begin to find the opportunities in their communities. So I started to percolate this this book idea, and it's been three or more years in the making. And finally, um, Griffin House uh, bought it, and, and they've created it. So it's really a very practical, hands-on guide. Um, and it, it it does have a few personal stories sort of mixed in there because I'm I'm a writer and I I enjoy creative writing, but I also love writing essays about my families. Uh, experiences. And I, you know, one of the original subtitles was going to be sort of the trials and tribulations of trying to raise compassionate kids, because it doesn't always go as planned, right? And so you have to roll with the punches, but it's always worthwhile. It's always worth doing. And I just wanted to give parents the tools and the resources and the ideas and the inspiration. And um, that's what it is. 
And you have, and you you just uh, you just spoke of the trials and tribulations, and it doesn't always work out right. <laughs> as it as it is meant to, or we think it's meant to. So, this probably is a good intro into your intro, and tell everyone about you know what you write about with your son in the soup kitchen. Sure, sure. as an example of this. So um, again, my kids are um, now eighteen, sixteen, and eleven. But several years ago, we had signed up to go to a soup kitchen that was run. Um, by a college downtown, and it runs on only on Monday nights. So as you can imagine, Martin Luther King Day being a Monday is a very big day for them. So they get lots of groups to come in. And we we all went down there to volunteer. We signed up. And um, one nice thing about that place is they will accept families with young children. So, you know, um, my oldest, who was perhaps 12 or 13 at the time, she, she started uh, sorting all of the donated toiletries and clothing, because after the homeless folks come through the soup kitchen and have a a warm meal, they go through an area that has a a big closet. So they can take a coat or take some gloves, other donated items or toiletries. Toiletries are a very, very big thing for the homeless, especially toothbrushes and toothpaste. So she loved that because, you know, she loved organizing and almost like shopping, right? So she and a few friends did that. My little one, um, who was, you know, very young at the time, perhaps seven, six or seven, we, we went upstairs and we were in charge of checking the bags and taking the bags from from the people who came in, the guests, and and giving them a number and all that. So she had a great job for her. And my son, who, you know, <laughs> was 10 or 11 at the time, he got a little bored. You know, it's not that exciting. Sometimes when there's a lots of volunteers, there's not a specific job for everyone. And there happened to be a piano in the middle of the room. And so he's sort of wandering around, not really doing anything, kind of getting in the way a bit. And then he just sat down and started playing the piano. And so the guests, as they were eating their meals, and then later as the volunteers were cleaning up, um, he was playing what few pieces of music he knew um, by heart. And I I have to tell you, we recently um, volunteered there again, and someone specifically came to play. And it really was additive to the evening. I think people just enjoy listening to music when they're eating. It doesn't feel so um, clinical. It feels like you've come to a restaurant and you're enjoying a meal, which is exactly how the soup kitchen hopes that our, that the guests and the clients feel. So, you know, listen, that was a moment where my son might have gone off the rails and been whining and could we go home or whatever. Exactly. And he, and he found a place for himself. And mm-hmm. I think it's that flexibility and that ability to see that everyone has something to contribute, even very, very young children. Um, there is a way to engage them to not get frustrated and throw up your hands and say, well, my kid is too young. I can't possibly volunteer. What could they possibly do there? They're just going to get in the way. Um, that's, that's not the right perspective to have. And he brought joy. He found a of way course. to bring joy to the, sure. to, the, to the evening. Absolutely. And so one of the biggest obstacles I know in our family of uh, three growing uh, adolescents plus as well is, is this thing called time, right? Two working right. parents... Um, a lot of life, a lot of appointments, a lot of activities. And so I know a lot of us want to do this, think about doing it, feel guilty about not doing more. Right. Right. But there's this real obstacle of time. So what do you suggest? 
Well, that's, you know, the subtitle of the book is The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back, because that was the whole intention of this, was um, how I wanted to approach this was to to make suggestions. Um, and again, these are just my suggestions. There are There's a world of other ideas out there, but to make suggestions about ways that you can incorporate service and acts of kindness into things that you're already doing every day. Um, into your day-to-day life as you move through the world with your kids and also into the things, activities, and events that you are already planning. So there's a chapter on birthday parties, for example, and ways to incorporate different small things um, to create sort of a party a party with purpose, you know, um, asking for donations in lieu of gifts instead of spending a lot of money on decorations for the tables, you know, making each table have a a pile of children's books as the decoration and then donating those. Um, There are a variety of different ideas um, in there. Other similarly, but a little different, um, how to sort of acknowledge a milestone with service or with an act of kindness or with a donation. So for example, the birth of a new child, um, planting a tree, uh, other, other milestones that you'll experience in your family. And I even in that chapter talk about the very small milestones. You know, when you have very young children, it is hard to see how you can incorporate this into your life. But for example, your child's first steps, you know, it's such a wonderful, exciting, thing. Perhaps you make a donation to an organization that provides shoes for children, you know, in the third world who don't have them, or, you know, your, your child's first lost tooth, you know, you put the, there's so many rituals, so many things that we create, so many family traditions we create around these things. What if one of the traditions could be buying some toothbrushes and toothpaste and donating them, you know, in honor of the child's first lost tooth. Um, so birthdays are a great moment, you know, a time for, it's so much about getting you know, it's about a party and me getting presents and lots of decorations and everyone should celebrate their child's birthday in the way that they want. But I'm just suggesting that there might be a little way that you can make something about giving to someone else. So sharing your joy with the outside world. There's a chapter on travel, taking family vacations, things, again, you're already making plans for a family vacation. What if you took some of the suggestions in this chapter and just incorporated one tiny thing um, that's perhaps about doing some service in the community that you're visiting or bringing things to donate there or learning more about it. So I, I tried to incorporate, give these suggestions for folks to incorporate service and acts of kindness into just the things that are already happening because I appreciate how busy everyone is. And it does, it does sometimes feel like another thing on your checklist, another thing to do. But I would also just more philosophically suggest to you that we prioritize so much for our kids. We prioritize um, soccer practice and we prioritize piano and tutoring and um, you name it. This is something that should be prioritized just as much, if not more, perhaps, because this comes, this speaks to the foundational values that we're trying to instill in our children, right? We're trying to live our values. Mm -hmm. We're trying to model this for our children. Mm -hmm. So modeling it, obviously, day-to-day in our day-to-day interactions with the world and the people around us, but also saying to our kids that by saying yes to service— one Sunday a month in the afternoon for two hours perhaps means saying no to something else, but that that's important and that that's worthwhile. You know, I, I quote this um, author that I love that she wrote, um, instead of saying, I don't have time, try saying it's not a priority for me mm. and see how that feels. Laura Vanderkam said that. So, and that's, that's what great. I'm trying to communicate is that by saying that this is priority or, or living that and finding the time, 
you're saying to your kids, this is just as important as soccer practice or hockey or all, you know, all of the other things that we manage to right. find time for in our weekends. And, you know, the aha that I just had as you're speaking is I'm going to equate this to why it took me so long to get to mindfulness meditation practices because mm-hmm. I had this idea that I needed to have 30 to 30 minutes to 60 minutes a day to really do it right. Right. When, in fact, you just need two to five minutes or whatever you have. And right. my, my, so the aha is like, I'm thinking, gosh, where are we going to find a whole day? And where are we going to go? Don't and how are we all going to go together? Right. And you don't. You These, you don't. M- these little acts. Um, right. Right? <laughs> That's right. The whole... they, I like this. Okay. These little acts. Um, and it starts a habit, which is the other thing that you were talk about is Absolutely. how how to make this a habit and and volunteerism as a muscle, right? That we need right. to we need to build exactly. that muscle. Well, there's a, there's a ton of research, obviously. We, we all know this, that, you know, empathy is a muscle. It's something that has to be exercised, right? That, that children don't sort of come out of the womb understanding this compassion and empathy and gratitude and all of these things, but that it, it's like little drops in the bucket that every time your family engages in this work or thinks about other people other than themselves, um, it does. It becomes a habit. You know, I, I've also read some research about family traditions that says, you know, kids in adulthood, kids will remember the things that you do over and over and over again. So they'll remember the small tradition you have around Thanksgiving or the holidays. They won't remember the big one-off thing, you know. It's it's those things that they look forward to every year. So there's a whole chapter on family traditions around the holidays, around birthdays, around the 4th of July, around going back to school. You know, if you make something a habit and you do it every year and you say, when we go to Staples to fill our backpacks for our new school year, we also fill a backpack full of, uh, full of supplies for a child who doesn't have, and we donate that to X. And you do the research in advance, you know where this is going to happen, and your kids maybe get a list of things that, that kids need. And while you're filling your cart with the things that you need for yourself, you're also thinking about someone else, and that's just part of your family tradition. I think the holidays are an easy time. People really see this at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah. Um, but I would challenge families, and I hope that the book challenges families, to really look at it month by month, that there is an opportunity in every month. Um, And if you look ahead a little bit at your calendar and you use the school calendar and the holidays and personal milestones that are going to come up in your family, you can absolutely find the time and the space to incorporate something like this in in your family practice. So then it becomes not just this like big deal thing. Like you said, it's not a whole day. We're not flying to Africa to buy, you know, to build a school. You know, it doesn't have to be that. It just, it becomes the way that your family operates in the world. And it, it, again, it's living your values and your kids sense that and they can see it and they role model it. And, you know, again, the research shows children, people who volunteer as children are much more likely to do so as adults. If you volunteer with your family together, you are like 10 times more likely to continue volunteering as an adult. So, I mean, there's science to back this up, but I also firmly believe that there's just the, the, my, my own personal life experience with this. Well, and, and a key point you're making um, in many different ways is prioritizing. And us looking at, an, you know, parent footprint is all about being mindful and aware of what our goals are for our children and then acting in a way that is commensurate purposely with those goals. And so 
yes, a lot of us make um, academic tutoring or right. recreation or camping or you right. name it with you know without judgment. Um, right. Sure. And service is one of the things that we could choose to prioritize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's you know, um, I, I make a, a joke in the book about how the book kind of really came from a conversation with a friend who, you know, a woman with two young children, same ages as mine. And she said, I just can't believe you, you find so much time to do this with your kids. And I, I, I said, gee, you know, just one time a month, that's all I'm, you know, once a month, just find this. And she was like, once a month, how could you possibly? And I think to myself, you know, in the priority list of all of these other things that we accomplish in a month's time, you can carve out, um, a, you know, an hour or two hours on the weekend. And you don't even need to do that. You know, I have, I have tips in the book about little sidebars that talk about, you know, when you have young children and you're sitting around and they're just waiting for the food to be served, right? Like it's a short order kitchen. You know, you can have a, a pile of, of construction paper and some crayons on the side and the kids can take those and make cards for hospitalized children or can make cards for the elderly who are lonely and isolated or can make cards for our active duty military and veterans. And there are tons of organizations organizations and I list them in the book where you can just pile those up after a few weeks or months and send them off with a little note and it's just it's a good feeling you might get a note back from the organization and again this is these are this is time that the kids were just sitting there doodling anyway you know um so there are ways to sort of be thinking about these things in in your day-to-day life and I also obviously there's a chapter and I, I don't need to go into it too deeply because there's so much about random acts of kindness but this is also just the way that we walk through the world, right? right? What are our values? When we walk through a door, do we hold the door for the next person coming through or do we let it slam in their face? When, you know, you get your change at the coffee shop and your young child is standing there and there's a tip cup right there that says college fund, do you give your child the few coins that you got back and let them put it in the cup? You know, I just think these things become habits and using the name, we live in New York City, so using the name of the doorman. And greeting right. him, and greeting him every morning, and then certainly saying thank you to him as he as he sends us on our day and holds the door for us or gives us our packages. I mean, these are such small things, but I think they accumulate like drops in a bucket to create a child's sort of moral and ethical foundation and and who the people they're going to become. Exactly, showing our values, modeling right. it right. every day. So, with regard to kids, uh, and especially younger kids. Usually when we're volunteering, we're seeing some tough things, um, some disfortunate, uh, unfortunate things, um, uh, things that, of course, our thinking kids might internalize. Um, they might be asking us questions, and you talk about the importance of reflection um, when doing volunteer activities. Um, how do you suggest parents go about these things? Well, you know, I do, I break it down a little bit in the playdates chapter. I think playdates are a great place to incorporate service and, you know, a fun activity that kids are already doing. But I, I talk about starting with a, a children's book. Now, obviously that's for, you know, youngish children. Um, although my 11 year old still likes to hear a, a good board book. There are wonderful, wonderful books out there and Doing Good Together has terrific resources on its website. And I list a few others in the book where there are just books that deal with social justice issues that are sometimes difficult to talk about or or hard to find the right language around. Um, so sort of starting with a, a children's book, really kind of, you know, opening the conversation about it, um, participating in the activity, whether it's a, you know, 
kitchen table kindness activity, as I like to call them, an at-home hands-on activity or going out in the community, um, and then really giving kids the opportunity to, to talk about it and reflect on it afterwards, asking a few questions, letting them ask some questions. Um, you know, and again, it's people are unpredictable. Um, situations are unpredictable. Some of these issues are very difficult to talk about, homelessness, hunger. Um, I think being afraid reluctant to address them with even young children is sort of burying our head in the sand. They're going to hear about these issues. They're going to see homeless in the street if you live in a city that has experiences this problem. And so not addressing it is leaving it um, very us and them. It's really othering those people and leaving it very mysterious for them. I think talking about um, talking about these issues and using the right language. So saying, you know, these are people who right now are experiencing homelessness and they probably had a home at one time and they may have a job and they may be in school. We don't know what their story is, but right now they're experiencing homelessness. They are not the homeless. Um, same with, you know, I think similar language around poverty and so, and, and hunger, you know, um, food insecurity is such a huge issue in our country and the language around it is changing. So many kids go to school. There are children, you know, I can almost guarantee in, in the this, this schools with your children, um, where your children go to school, who come to school hungry in the morning. And right. it's not because their parents don't work. It's not because their parents don't care. It's because at the end of the month, food runs low because funds run low for many families. And so there are so many hunger-focused organizations. No Kid Hungry is a great one because it's really focused on children. Um, and so kids can really look at their website and get a lot of great ideas and um, resources around that. But um, I think the hunger conversation is an important one to have. And again, it engenders this gratitude that we have a full pantry and we have food in the refrigerator. And if we don't, we can probably go to the market and pick that up. Um, I think opening these conversations and being able to talk honestly with kids at the correct developmental level, obviously, um, just it just allows them the freedom to ask those questions so that they can mm -hmm. learn and they can gain the empathy around it. And I really like what you, the terminology of experiencing X instead right. of R, right? right? This is... sure. We need to open our kids' mind to the the varied human experiences that befall any of us, right. um, right. not personalize it, and definitely not label as a fixed trait to an individual. Exactly. 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 I'm reminded of a story, a friend of mine who, whose daughter is the same age as mine. And she saw something that I had posted through this work on social media about what we do to commemorate 9-11. Um, um, so we live in New York City. This is obviously a very big deal for us here. I think, unfortunately, just like with Pearl Harbor and anything else, over time, people are forgetting and people weren't here when it happened. And many people around the country didn't have a personal experience of it. And so it, it fades in memory. So what we do, and remember, only one of my children was alive on 9-11 and she was only a few months old. But every year on September 11th, we bake cookies and we make a card and we take it to a local um, fire department and to the local police station. Our local fire department lost seven 
men and uh, the police station lost two or three, I believe. And we bring them and um, it's always appreciated. And, and it's, a, you know, it's a lovely moment. And we just, it's just what we do, whether it's a school day or a weekend, whatever. And then this friend of mine had seen what I posted. And we happened this year, past year to have 9-11 off. It was a Jewish holiday and the kids were off from school. And she said, you know, I've never spoken to my daughter about 9-11 ever. And and she was almost 11. And I said, well, if you don't talk to her about it, someone's going to tell her about it. And it's kind of a scary thing. So maybe we should like open and obviously not get into excruciating detail. But at 11 or 10 or 11 years old, I think it is something that you can start to talk about this day that happened in our city and what, more importantly, the outcome and what the way that we came together, the way the country came together to help each other, just like Fred Rogers said, right? Look for the helpers. So she took my inspiration and they baked and they went to the local firehouse and they had the most incredible day experience, you know, an hour, whatever, 45 minutes where the firefighter, he, he was on the, this, you know, he was there. He lost all of his friends that day and he showed her around. He showed her the photograph of the men. He, you know, he, he, went down the pole and showed her how that worked. And they just, he let her go on the truck. And, you know, she had this really wonderful, meaningful experience hearing from him about the friends that he lost and the experience of it. And she, she was able, it was not scary anymore, you know? And so she really was just grateful that I had sort of given her permission almost to have this really difficult conversation with her daughter and to say, well, what can we do that's really kind and nice right now to make some people feel better who might still be feeling sad about it? Yeah, really, this is a great story of approaching instead of avoiding. You know, as time goes on and we don't have those conversations, it seems to get more of a a taboo or a a fear when we just got to find a way to step into it. And and I like the other thing that you said is um, be the ones to tell your kids about these things instead of wait for other people to do it in the way that they're going to do it. Right. And let, let and let the way that they're hearing about this be your values, How what the, the way that you want to communicate this, because not sharing with them is not about them. It's about you and your own fear or your own reluctance to share this really bad news with your kid that this happened. You know, the problem is all of these things are happening all of the time. So whether we share it with them or not, they're going to hear about it. And so I think we want to we want to be the ones to to figure out the message that we want to want to relay in the way that they hear about it from us in a very gentle way. Um, and, and it's the same with homelessness. You know, we can let them sort of get these ideas about why someone might be homeless or, you know, just not really know and, and not, and maybe be afraid to ask and sort, and then to tell them the reality of what might be happening in this person's life. And that it's, um, you know, without judgment, again, we have to let go of our own, um, anxieties and fears around it and and just be as honest as we can, again, developmentally appropriate, but just to remind them that they're human and that they deserve our compassion and our care and they might be sick and hopefully they can get some help. And is there an organization in our, in our community that we can tap into that has a way of helping them? Because it's often very hard to, particularly in a, a with an issue of homelessness, it's very difficult to give to everyone that you see. And perhaps right. someone's dealing with mental health issues. You don't want to approach them. But I can promise you, if, if there are homeless in your community, people experiencing homelessness in your community, there is a social service agency in your community that's thinking about it. 
and and would welcome your your time, your donations, your toiletries, um, whatever. And so, looking online, researching, talking to your your kids, looking in my book for you know different organizations out there that that provide help. You know, it gives the kids tools to not feel helpless and to say, well, what can we do to make the problem better for somebody else? Yes. So much more I want to ask. <laughs> And yet it is time (laughs) for the parent footprint moment question, Natalie. I know you are prepared for this um, Mm -hmm. because you actually have been talking about parent footprint moments the whole show and how you've incorporated it (laughs) into your own life. I didn't want to like steal my parent footprint (laughs) moments. All your good stuff. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a good thing you have so many. Right. Okay. So the question, tell us of a time when you became aware of yourself as a person and or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Okay. Well, um, I go, God, I hope this fits the bill here. But uh, several years ago, we went to Israel to celebrate the bat mitzvah of a friend, a friend's daughter. And my kids were younger, I want to say 12, 9, and let's say. And um, we were we were going to be there for a few days. Obviously, it's a big trip. And over the December holidays, and I had been at the time doing a lot of work with the um, Jewish Federation here in New York City, which, um, as some of your listeners may know, um, does a lot of fundraising around uh, social service agencies that help many, many people here in the United States and also over in Israel. So I asked the Federation folks if there was an organization that was supported by UJA funds that we could visit, that I could take my children and show them that the work that I do, the fundraising and the activities, the hands-on service that we do, it gets funneled back to organizations in Israel and how it might help help people there. So the, um, they hooked me up with a last chance school in um, in South Tel Aviv, where children who um, teenagers who had already been kicked out of other schools, um, perhaps had um, some uh, disciplinary issues, were given an opportunity to go to school and to learn how to make jewelry. So it was um, a vocational program with a jewelry designer who would come and work with them after school, after their academics, um, to create jewelry, which they would then sell. And the hope was that they would get a skill and go out into the world and be productive. So we we go there, and this woman who's a representative of the agency drives all the way from Jerusalem, and she's like nine months pregnant, and she's come all this way to take us on a tour, and she's lovely. And, and we, we walk around, and we meet these wonderful students who didn't speak any English, and she's interpreting, and they're like, why are these people here? Who are these people? Why are they smiling at us? And they told us about their work and they explained that we we came from the United States and we just we were supportive of the program. We wanted to learn what they were doing and and how they were doing it and what what you know, could we buy a piece of jewelry? And we just we, you know, had such a nice interaction with these kids and they were so touched that we came to see their work and how they were learning and the whole thing was so lovely and wonderful. And we walk out and we're headed back to the car. <laughs> this poor woman still has to drive, and my son goes. <laughs> So how was that a good deed? <laughs> what did we just do there? <laughs> he said, he actually said, how was that a mitzvah, which is sort of the you know mm-hmm. Hebrew for a good deed. Um, how was that? A, what did we just, how was that good? How did we do good there? And I was like, oh, after all of this, all you know, this way, all, all this way, this and traveled, this woman, yeah. and, and, and we, and I thought I was doing this like incredible, you know, like they were going to have this aha moment, you know, that this is what we raise money for. <laughs> and this is why we do good works. And we're helping these kids to get off the street and not go to jail. And my kid, it just went, whew, 
right over his head. How is that a mitzvah? So, um, you know, we had an interesting conversation in the car. And then, of course, I was embarrassed because this poor woman, <laughs> you know, but she was like, oh, you know, she had children at home. She understood. But, um, you know, it w- it opened up a really interesting conversation about, you know, the thing that I thought was going to be yeah. so meaningful and so impactful. The thing that I thought was going to be like this aha moment and this really inspiring, like this is why my kids are going to want to go out and change the world and make a difference. And it didn't, all they saw was a bunch of kids making jewelry and that was fine and it was fun, but it didn't, um, didn't connect the dots for them. And how would it, you know, he's nine or 10 years old. How could he connect the dots from something that goes on in our home in New York city, all the way over here to South Tel Aviv, um, half literally halfway around the world. So, um, I think, you know, it kind of brought me back to this place of, I just need to explain things a little bit better. I think I need to, you know, slow down a little bit. It does, it needs to not be about me and what I want to, what I want to get out of it or what I think is important. It needs to be driven a little bit more, a little bit more by my children and what they, the, the charities, the organizations, the issues, the social justice issues that they care about. Um, because, Obviously and clearly, they're going to be more invested in things that they believe in, that they think are an injustice and that they want to do something about. So um, they were young. And so I was doing that for them a little bit. Um, and not mm-hmm. to say that they didn't get anything out of it in the end, because we had many you know, good conversations around it um, and follow up conversations whenever we would do something for the UJA, I would say, now remember when we went to the place. Um, so, but that was really, that was sort of a, an interesting moment for me, especially after all of the sort of moving around and traveling and making big plans. Sometimes big plans don't always pan out, you know, and um, you kind of need to roll with it and, and do a little more listening, you know? Yeah. And, and again, you just emphasized how a little thing could actually be the big powerful thing that the, the the small little ritual or the small little act of kindness can have a larger impact than a amazing trip across the world. A hundred percent, 100 percent. And that, you know, perhaps we didn't need to do that thing at all. Perhaps we could have done, you know, come back to New York and said, okay, well, what, what are, what are the things that, what, what did we see in Israel? What were some things that we noticed while we were there, um, in our, just in our going about our, our vacation, our time there. And then what are some things that we can do here, um, to help the folks back there or to help people having similar experiences here in New York city. So again, taking your cues from your kids. Um, I, I talk about this in the book, you know, obviously something is going to be more successful. You're, you're going to have a more meaningful experience if it's something that the children are excited about and interested in. And engendering that, you know, cultivating that interest is exposing them to all of these different opportunities and ideas out there. Um, And that there are people that are different from us. There are people that are experiencing different things. Um, Let's be curious about that. Let's find out more and find out, more importantly, let's take the next step and say, what are some ways that we can help? Yes. And everyone, you need to go learn more from Natalie in her new book, Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. And I am just going to highlight a few of the pearls of wisdom that she relayed to us this morning. Incorporating service and acts of kindness into your daily life. Live our values and model it. Say yes Saying yes to service is saying no to something else that is so hard to do. 
And finally, empathy is a muscle that needs to be emphasized. Natalie, tell everyone where they can continue to follow you. Absolutely. So um, my website is uh, simpleaxeguide.com. Um, you can find the book on the Griffin House website, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. And on social media, I have a pretty active Instagram, uh, which is simpleaxe underscore guide. Um, but I think you'll be able to find it. And then on Facebook and, and Twitter, simpleaxeguide as well. Thanks so much, Natalie. Wishing you the best with your book and all your speaking. And I do hope our paths cross again. Um, and you have um, inspired me oh, to uh, go out and do some good. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Dan. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Everyone, thank you for listening today, listening to us, listening to Natalie's wisdom about giving back, building empathy totally in line with our mission at Parent Footprint to be intentional about how we live our lives in a fulfilling way to show our kids how to live. Be the person you want your child to become. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com where you know you can find other amazing podcasts as well as our Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to help you become aware and parent in a way that is consistent with your values and beliefs. And finally, always ask yourself this question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs> <laughs>